Well, if you guys remember, there's a guardrail up here. We've been on this series for six weeks. Now, for those of you that haven't been here before, let me just review really quickly. Basically, we've taken this idea of this guardrail, and we've applied this spiritual principle out of it. By now, you know what a guardrail is. It is a system designed to keep you from straining to dangerous or off-limit areas. So we asked the question, what would it look like to create guardrails in other areas of our lives? What would it look like to have financial guardrails or to have moral guardrails? What would it look like to have a guardrails in our friendships or in our marriage, academically, professionally, basically just about any other area of your life? What if we were to establish some guardrails that kept us back from the edge of disaster, whatever that might be in your lives? So we came up with our very own definition, and here's the definition we've been using. A guardrail is a standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience, and that you would make that decision so personal that when you kind of violated it or when you brushed up against your own guardrail, something would light up and the danger signs would go off and it would say, warning, warning, because you know that you're moving into an area that is dangerous in your life. So now this thing that we've said every single week, and this is never going to change, is that culture baits us to the edge of disaster in several areas, and then when we step over that line, it mocks us, it chastises us. You know, our, our culture baits us to the edge of disaster financially, it tells us, you know, bye, 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 but then when we cross that line, it's that very same culture that tells us, wow, how can you be so irresponsible? Look at all that debt you've incurred, and look at what's happening in your family or your life. You're a loser. Nobody wants to be around you. And, and you guys get the picture. People chastise you. I think we can all relate to that. So then the question is, how do we manage that? Because we know that culture is not likely going to change. Well, we said that the only way to manage that is to establish some guardrails, you know, some limit areas, some boundaries in our lives. And we've talked about every single area. So today, as we wrap up this six-week series, I want to address the big pushback of all of this. If you haven't been with us, hopefully you're intrigued enough to go back and listen online. But if you've been with us, and I want to talk specifically why we don't do this. Because chances are, if you've been in this series, you've had sort of two tracks running through your mind. You know, one track is that I hope my wife's listening. I hope I can get a copy of this to my kids or to my family. I hope my grandkids are listening. I hope my husband is listening. In other words, I hope everybody else is listening because it just makes common sense that in order to keep us from screwing up our lives in just about any area of our life, we need to, to have some guardrails established. You know, some things that kind of keep us back from the brink of disaster. And maybe that's one track that you have. The other track is basically, you know what, it sounds good, but I'm just not going to do this. I don't want to do that because, you know, Carlos, it does make sense. I can't really argue with the logic. And, and you know, uh, you don't even need to buy for that kind of logic, which I will tell you that everything in the Bible is logical to me. But it's a lot of common sense. But there's something in you and there's something in me that says, okay, I got it. But the problem with the guardrail is that it just keeps me away from something that I really want to do. I don't always want to be a good example I want to make more money. I don't always want to give because I'd rather buy, I'd rather purchase. I don't want to be wise and prudent because she's so cute, I really want to date her, and he's so handsome that I want to date him. I don't want to be fiscally responsible. I want to lease that. I don't want to study to get an A because I know I can get an A without really studying. You know, all these things that we tell ourselves, and you tell yourself, you know, Carlos, with guardrails, they're actually just in my way. They get between me and what I want. And that's really kind of the pushback that I think a lot of people are having. 
That's why many of you, even though you sort of enjoyed it, and we've heard a lot of great comments. I mean, I've really enjoyed the series. It's been kind of fun, but then when you walk out of the doors, you keep on doing the same thing you've always been doing. And it's not because the, you know, the logic or is flawed. Again, you hope all of your friends and all the people that you love will be paying close attention. The problem is that when it comes to you and when it comes to me, the whole idea of stepping back means that there are things on the other side of those guardrails that we're, we're going to be m- missing out on. And when we miss out on those things, we might be thinking, oh, that's also a lot of fun that I might be missing out of or possibly could be having. So if you've had those thoughts or you already kind of wandered in that direction, I just want to point you to some things that I think you already know. I mean, that's basically all I do anyway. Just point you to things that you already know. And here it is, that if you decide, forget this guardrail thing, because that's ridiculous, or, or I'm missing out on too much, or however you view that, here's the thing that you need to know. Regardless of whether you have guardrails or not, the tension that you feel, it's not going to go away. You see, if you decide, for example, I know I I need to have financial responsibility and I know about debt and all of that stuff, but I'm just going to lease that car that I can't afford anyway. Now, if you decide to lease that car that you can't afford anyway, the temptation or the tension is not going to go away in 24 to 36 months from now. In 24 to 36 months when that lease is up, you're still going to have that temptation and that tension to lease that car that you can't afford anyway. It doesn't go away. Or let me try this a different way. Let's say that you decide, I am married, and I know there are rules and social things out there for married people that I shouldn't cross, but I'm going to go out with that girl anyway. I'm going to go ahead and have a girlfriend on the side. And here's what you need to do. If you decide to have a a girlfriend on the side, it's not going to take away the tension or the temptation to have a girlfriend on the side. Once she's gone, you're still going to be tempted. You see, it doesn't solve anything. So here's what happens, because all of us agree, I think everyone in this room agrees, that somewhere out there, morally, financially, relationally, professionally, all of us agree that somewhere out there, there are certain lines that we shouldn't cross. Now, we may not agree on where those those lines lie, but we all agree that there's some lines out there that we shouldn't cross. Now, here's the problem with that, that wherever you decide to put the brakes on, that will be the new point of tension and the new point of temptation for you. The temptation is never going away. The tension is never going away. You know, if you decide, forget this diet I've been on, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. Well, at some point, you're going to say, you know what, I probably shouldn't eat that. Well, now you have a new point of tension and a new point of temptation because it's not going away. And this is really important. Refusing to have guardrails does not eliminate the tension. It does not eliminate the temptation. You know what all it does? It erodes your resolve. And all it does is bring you to a place of temptation that if you were to give in, the consequences are going to be greater. You know, going back to what I talked about a few weeks ago, we said that married people shouldn't have meals with married people who aren't their spouse. Now, because that kind of, you know, that could kind of lead to things. It's just a guardrail. It's just a suggestion. Again, it's not, it's not even in the Bible. So if I decide that I'm not going to have coffee with another woman because that's just my guardrail, that's not my wife, but I really want to have coffee with her and I start to struggle and I go, oh, the temptation, the struggle, I really want to have coffee with that lady. And you know what? I'm just going to have coffee with that girl. So you go out and you have coffee with that girl. What, what just happened? Oh, you just had coffee with that girl. Because, and after you have that guardrail, you kind of feel guilty and hopefully you'll go back and realize that you probably shouldn't have done that. 
But let's take that a step further. Let's say that you don't have that guardrail in your life and you go have coffee and all of a sudden she says, you know, uh, let's go to the house or walk me to the house, whatever happens in those type of things. And you start to say, now I don't have a guardrail, so what? I, should I, should, I don't want to go in the house. Should I go in the house? She's inviting me to go in the house. I don't want to go in the house, but I really want to go in the house. All of a sudden you're in the house. You guys get the picture. What happens after that? Should we go upstairs? No, I don't want to go upstairs. I really want to go upstairs. Oh my, she's inviting me to go upstairs. Should I do it? I mean, it's just one thing after another, all because you don't have a guardrail. So my point is, you know, without these guardrails, things lead to other things. And my point again is that this is true academically or professionally or morally, and it applies pretty much everywhere. At some point, you're going to put your foot on the brake, and when you do, that is where the temptation and that's where the real tension begins. But the further you are in some things, the further complicated the consequences. Now, if you say yes, and the more difficult it's going to be to say no. So refusing to have guardrails doesn't solve anything. It just moves the battle line a little bit closer to disaster. Now, see, what's important here is that your appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. In other words, you never have one meal to end all meals. You never have a dessert to end all desserts. You never purchase a car to end all car purchases. You never have a kiss to end all kisses. There is no appetite that you have that is fully and finally satisfied. In fact, you guys know this, I know this, that the more you feed an appetite, guess what happens? It grows, right? Did you know that the more you weigh, the hungrier that you are? Trust me, I know that. Because you feed an appetite, it grows. So here's the deal. Whatever area that we're talking about, whether it's a shopping thing or the debt thing, whatever it is, you know, relationships, people you shouldn't spend time with, alcohol, recreational drugs, whatever area that God is probably tugging at your heart right now for. Maybe you work too much. I don't know. Whatever area it is, it never is going to be fully and finally satisfied. It comes back and it wants more. And that's never going to change in your life. Now, I understand why most of us don't want to have guardrails in our lives. All I'm saying this morning is that, you know, don't deceive yourself. You know, that's where we actually started this series. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that by saying yes, 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 you're never going to have to say no. Now, I, wanted to, I want to tell you a story. In 605 BC, there's a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I'm sure you've heard of him, and it's amazing that we even know what happened in 605 BC. Well, Nebuchadnezzar was located in the modern city of Iraq. And in 605, he decided to conquer Israel and specifically the city of Jerusalem. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a really brilliant guy. And here's the one thing that made him so brilliant. When he would go into one of these major metropolitan ancient cities, instead of just destroying the city and enslaving everyone, he would tell his commanders to go into the city and arrest and take captive all of the royal family. You know, the best of the best, the brightest. The royal family was generally more educated. They were prettier. They, they had eaten well. They took care of themselves and they were taken care of. So he would say, go into that city and take them captive and bring them back safely to my capital city of Babylon. And so Nebuchadnezzar had the habit of importing the prettiest people in the world and the smartest people in the world into his capital city. Then he would put them into this training program to replace it, and he would try to teach them all of these things and slowly strip away all of their culture and replace it with Babylonian culture. 
So this capital city of Babylon back in this period of ancient history was a great city full of brilliant people, the brightest scholars in the world, and the prettiest people. I mean, it was a brilliant plan, don't you think? So in 605 BC, he sends his armies into the city of Jerusalem, conquers Jerusalem, goes into the temple, the ancient temple that Solomon had built, and pretty much just destroys the entire temple, and he loots it, and he takes all the things that are valuable and brings it back to Babylon. He enriches himself with Israel's gold and brings with Israel the best and the brightest. And four of these people you, that he brought with him, you guys have heard of their famous names. One of them was Daniel. The other one was Shadrach, Meshach, and the Billy Goat. Now, the name was, those of you guys don't even know, his name was Abednego, but it sounds like Billy Goat, so I say Billy Goat. It's easier for me to remember those three names. So he gets these guys with all these other people from all over the world, and he begins this training process. And the goal, again, remember, is to strip away all of their heritage, all of their belief system, and create new Babylonians, and again, that are the brightest in the world. And here's where we're going to pick up the story. Daniel chapter 1, verse 5. It says, The king... That is, the king Nebuchadnezzar, as part of his training program, assigned him a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, which was awesome. You know, this is how you get the best of the best from the king's table himself. And he says they were to be trained for three years. Now, these were some smart guys that he brought over. So, but this was more like graduate school. This was, this was, you thought you were smart before, but now you're getting a master's degree or a PhD, you know. You're going, you're going to get your college education paid for free, for three years, and you're going to get food, free food that comes directly off of the king's table. This is the part where guys that weren't expecting this were like high-fiving each other and say, wow, I thought we were going to be enslaved, or I thought I was going to work in the copper or the gold mines or the salt mines, and now we get to live in this palace and eat the king's food? I mean, we've made it. That's pretty unbelievable. Bible goes on to say that they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So after they finished that three-year program, they would have an oral exam and the best of the brightest uh, of the group would actually get to work for the king and live in the palace. I mean, this was as good as it could possibly get in the ancient world. So Daniel, though, who was one of the smartest guys, was so smart that he saw through that whole plan. And he saw the end game and he realized what was about to happen because once they rescued his life, they gave him a new set of clothes, they shaved his head, they pierced his ear, and they even gave him a new name. In fact, Daniel's name was actually Belteshazzar. I can't even say the name, Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, there you go. That was his actual name, his, his, his Babylonian name. And they took a Babylonian god by the name of Bel and attached it with part of a Babylonian name in, his, in their language. And it meant something like, Bel will take care of you or Bel will watch over you. Bel is your defender. So they gave him a brand new name. Daniel realized what was happening. And that was that it was slowly but slowly they were going to begin to continue to strip away everything that he believed, everything that he knew to be right, and everything that he had placed his faith in. And one day, he would wake up, and he would be Babylonian through and through. And he would be worshiping Babylonian gods, taking part in Babylonian ceremonies, viewing Marduk or Bel, or all different gods as the one true God, and having put in the past everything that he grew up believing in. 
And he realized that they were starting to do that at a very slow, slow pace over time. Now think about that for a second. Do you think that maybe the same thing is happening to us? That we are slowly becoming immune to the world's standards and eventually we're just going to be through and through part of this world? You know, Daniel recognized something that many of us completely miss when it comes to the ebb and the flow of culture. And that is that compromise does not erase tension. It only weakens our resolve. Compromise does not erase any tension. We think, oh, if I give in or I won't have that tension anymore, I won't have that temptation, I won't have that pressure anymore. If I, won't, if I give in, everything will be okay. okay. But you see, Daniel knew better than that. We all know that if you cheat once, it is a lot easier to, eat, to cheat the second time. Once you cross certain lines of compounding debt, it's just a lot easier to get into a lot more debt. Once you compromise with alcohol or recreational drugs, it is a lot easier the second time. The same thing with cigarettes. The first one you take, it's going to be easier to have the second one. There are so many lines that once you cross them, the tension doesn't go away. It's just that your resolve is lessened. And Daniel saw this. And he realized, you know, they changed my clothes, they changed my names, they changed my habits. Man, they've even changed my schedule. I realize where this is going. One day, I will have completely abandoned everything I held near and dear. And so Daniel decided to do something that I want to encourage all of us to do. And here's what the scripture tells us in verse 8. But Daniel resolved... Some amazing words. Another translation says that Daniel made up his mind. He said, enough is enough. This is as far as I go. That is as close as I get. That is as far as, as I'm going to let you push me. He goes on to say, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official, whose name was Asphanas. Can you imagine having that name? Hey, Asphanas. For He asked him for permission not to defile himself in this way. You know, but there's a lot of speculation as to why Daniel didn't want to eat the food and drink the wine. One of them is that maybe this food and wine had been, you know, offered to idols or, or Baal, which is their Babylonian gods. And for Daniel to partake of this food would be to basically believing in those gods and he didn't want to have any part of that. The other explanation is maybe he didn't, this food wasn't kosher. And if he were to partake in this food, then he would be violating the Mosaic law, which is, you know, Moses' law. You know, there's several variations on that theme, but what we know is this, that he decided that you can push me and push me, but that is as far as I go. And what's so cool about this, because if you grew up in Sunday school, you know how the story ends, and it ends pretty cool for Daniel. And now this is a challenge for you and for me. Daniel made up his mind before he knew how the story ended. Daniel made up his mind, and he hadn't even read the book of Daniel yet. And see, this is the part that we can't even begin to imagine because we, we've never been in the environment that Daniel's been in. He's a teenager. He's away from home, surrounded by the most powerful people in the world. By saying no, he is essentially willing to lose his life. And here's the amazing thing. In this, in this book, he uses the word defiled two times. Now imagine for a second what an insult it would have been to his host. To eat the king's food and drink the, the, the wine, it would be to defile his body? Probably by now they're thinking like, hold on, cowboy. There's people in the city that don't even have any 
food to eat. There's people in Africa who are starving. I'm sure they didn't say that at the time. But we're offering you the best there is here. And you think it's going to defile your body? Well, aren't you special, Daniel? I mean, this was a total insult to Nebuchadnezzar and his entire household. Daniel made a decision before he knew the end of the story. He made this decision because he could predict the end of the story if he didn't. Because he, like you and like me, we know where things are leading, don't we? And so he made up his mind. The Bible says that he resolved. So he asked the chief official for permission, and here's what he did. He went to Asphanas, and he says, hey, Asphanas, look, my boys and I, we don't want to eat of the food and drink of the wine, and I know that's going to be a problem for you, but we just don't want to do it. But now look at what this next verse in the Bible says. This is a game changer. This is a game changer for all of us. In verse 9, it says, now God. Now, here's why this is so important. You see, as you're evaluating whatever limits or or boundaries or guardrails you want to set for your life, and as God is speaking to you even now or even before of how to establish certain limits in your life so that you won't, you know, stray into dangerous areas, as you're doing all of this, people are going to think, maybe if you do that, you're going to be crazy. Maybe the guys at work are going to tell you, listen, you're not going to go there with me anymore. We can't have a couple of beers anymore. What's the deal with you? Here's the part that you forget to factor in. Here's a game changer. And here's the part that somehow Daniel knew to factor in. It's called the now God part. The now God part is that God will use your guardrails to actually not simply protect you, but to direct you. Because what happens from this point on in the story, because of Daniel's resolve, because he made up his mind, his decision to kind of draw the line in the sand, God used that decision to direct his entire life. If he had not made this decision, I wouldn't be telling you this story. There wouldn't be a book of Daniel in the Bible. It just wouldn't be there. Everything, more than you can possibly imagine, hung or hinged on his decision, whatever, whether or not to eat the meat or drink the wine. The fact that he said, no, this is what God said. This is a defining moment for you, Daniel. I'm going to direct your entire future by this one decision. And let me tell you what I know for absolute sure. Neither you nor me, we have no idea what hangs in the balance of our decisions to establish guardrails for our lives. We think we do, but we don't. And my hunch is that for many of you, that decision will be a defining moment. And one day you'll look back and you'll be able to say, God didn't just simply protect me. I feel like God directed me and maybe redirected my entire life. Folks, I I can tell you that that's happened in my life. Every time that I made a hard decision for God, God has honored that decision. And I stand before you today because I've decided on certain things in my life. Now, let's read the rest. In verse 9, it says, Now God had caused the officials to show favor and compassion to Daniel. And you see, Daniel didn't know this, but he realizes Asphanas is is kind of treating these guys special. And he didn't know that God had done something behind the scenes, just like you don't know when God does something behind the scenes for you. And he goes to Asphanas and says, Hey, look, me and the guys, we don't want to eat this stuff and drink this wine. And Asphanas says, Okay, here's a problem. I can't give you a nod on this, Daniel. I can't let you off the hook. You have to eat the meat and drink the wine. And I understand your conviction, but if I change your diet and if I make you an exception and then your health fails, that means my head. The king's going to have my head. And I'm responsible for your health. 
So I can't change my mind as much as I like you guys. However, and the Bible doesn't really tell us this part. I'm making it up. But apparently there was this wink, wink thing going on. And he says, go ahead and go talk to that security over there. So Daniel goes to the security guard and says, hey, we talked to Asphanes, and he said no, but we thought that maybe. And so the security guard and Daniel come up with this plan, and, and Daniel says, look, just give us 10 days. If in 10 days I am not healthier and brighter than everybody else, then we can talk. If my health has deteriorated, then we can talk, but, we can talk, but just give us 10 days. And somehow Asphanes and the security guard work it out, and they give Daniel those 10 days. And after 10 days, they're healthier than the rest of the guys, and they're smarter than the rest of the people. Here's how the story continues. In verse 17, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Folks, God honored this decision. Here's how it concludes in verse 19. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which were their original Hebrew names. So they entered the king's service. And this was the beginning of a journey that would end up making all kinds of difference in the, in the nation of Israel. You know, the book of Daniel, the lion's den, the fiery furnace thing. You've heard all of those stories. It all began with this amazing story with Nebuchadnezzar that most people don't even know about, it all started right here with a simple decision to say, you know what, I can't, you can't stretch me any further. That's as far as I'm going to go. I'm going to make up my mind before I know the end of the story because if I don't make up my mind, I have a feeling I know the end of my story. Now here's a challenge for you and for me. It's simple. You have to make up your mind. You have to make up your mind to do this. And to refuse to establish guardrails is not going to remove the tension. It's just going to erode your ability to say no. And you and I already know that. We just have to make up our mind. And I have a feeling that in this room, there, that maybe some marriages are moving in the wrong direction. Maybe your finances are moving in the wrong direction. Or your relationships with your, with your family, your sons or your daughters are moving in a bad direction. Maybe you won't draw the line as to how many hours of work you're going to work every week. Or how much travel you're willing to take on. At some point, as you predict your own future, it really comes down to, are you going to make up your mind? And this applies to every area of your life that God is asking you to make a move in. This applies to every single area where God is, might be even speaking to you right now and saying, hey, listen, there's something that I planted in your heart that I want you to work on. It applies to that as well. At some point, as you predict your own future, it really comes down to, are you going to make up your mind? We know that culture is not going to help you. We know that culture is going to continue to tempt us and, and, and just bait us in the wrong direction towards disaster. But we have to resolve in our hearts and say, hey, listen, you can cut my hair, you can, you know, can pierce my ears, you can even give me a new pair of sandals and teach me a new language, but that is as far as I go because not having guardrails doesn't remove the tension. It just moves the line closer to where the tension is going to be. Now, I want to share this last verse with you from Proverbs, and then we're done, I promise. Proverbs 11.3, it says, The integrity, that means to do the right thing, of the upright, that is the people who are trying to do the right thing. Look at these beautiful words. The integrity of the upright guides them. Now here's the thing. Again, you have no idea what God wants to do with you 
and through you. We just don't. I look at you and, and I, I always wonder, what would it look like in our community, outside of these walls and in your homes, if we had a lot of people that would establish guardrails in, in, in their lives? We'll never know until we do. I mean, we'll never know what God wants us to do in us and through us until we do what Daniel did. And that is simply to make up his mind, to resolve. God is going to use your ethical, moral decisions to possibly direct your entire life. That's what hangs in the balance. But it starts with making up our mind. You know, we've already agreed through this whole series that for the most part, if not, all of our greatest regrets would have been avoided if we would just have had some guardrails in our life. That means that future regrets can be avoided. But it really comes down to this. You have to make up your mind. Like Daniel, you have to resolve in your heart, that's it for me, regardless of what anybody else says. And I just want for that for you guys so much. I believe with all my heart that God will honor those decisions. But the reality is it's a question that, that we've had for, for centuries. And who are you going to serve? What are you going to make up your mind to do? God doesn't want to be second in your life or third or even, you know, first one day and second the next day and maybe fifth, depending on what your environment looks like. Folks, we just have to make up our mind. And when we do, God will honor that and direct you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful to you this morning. Or we're grateful just because we've just read your word and it speaks truth into our lives. So first we acknowledge that we believe in your word, Father, and as surely as you live, I pray right now that as you speak to all of your people, your church, your body, Lord, that you would be faithful in calling them by name, that you would be faithful in tugging at their hearts and whatever it may be that you're asking them to do, that they would decide today once and for all that as for them and their house, that they will serve you, that they will establish guardrails in their lives, boundaries and limits that would keep them from going into dangerous areas. Father, knowing that your word says that you will use those decisions to guide them for the rest of their life. Lord, for we know your word speaks truth into our lives. Lord, when we do that knowing that as we walk out of these doors, we would be a different people if we decide to follow you first and foremost. Lord, so as your people decide to do that, I pray that you just give everyone here courage beyond their own perseverance beyond their own, Father, to go against the grain of what this world is constantly teaching us, Father, to do the things that are so difficult in our industries or our environments and our relationships that we've always done, Father, that we would use your word and this story in the book of Daniel to give us courage to persevere through the hard times that we may be having in life. Father, and then I pray for those who may be hurting this morning. If there's anyone here who is hurting financially, relationally, Father, or physically, I just pray that you would just anoint them right now. And as surely as you live, that you would be their God in their time of needs and give them according to your perfect will and purpose. Those who need comfort, Father, may you comfort them. Those who need peace, may you give it in abundance, as your Bible says. Father, mostly I just pray that as we walk out of these doors, that we would embrace your word and be a different people. We love you this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.